Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so pleased you're with me today. Well, in wrestling, sometimes plans change. We were scheduled to have the voice of Ring of Honor, Ian Riccoboni, on the program today, but he ended up being unavailable at the last minute, so we needed to pivot. We're very hopeful that Ian will join us in the near future, but who better to pivot to than one of the greatest referees of all time, former WWE official Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy worked for the WWF and then WWE for 20, over 20 years and was present for some of the biggest cards in wrestling history. He's worked the main event of WrestleMania. He was there for Hulkamania in the 80s, the Attitude Era of the 90s, and then some. Nowadays, he does podcasting and broadcasting. He does a weekly podcast with Wrestling Inc. He's been on uh, Aftermath on The Score in Canada. And uh, I've just really wanted to catch up with Jimmy for, about wrestling for a long time. So here we go with Jimmy Corderas. So happy to have with me today one of the greatest referees in WWF history, one of the most recognizable as well, creator of the Ref and Rant, the one and only Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'm so happy you're here with me today. No, I'm glad to be here, Phil. I very much appreciate you having me on, and uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. And just to make a correction, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't my original idea for the Ref and Rant. I have to give credit to where credit is due. My wife uh, you was unfortunately the one here who used to hear me rant about certain things I'd see on TV while watching wrestling. And she goes, you know what, why don't you do that on, on your social media stuff? And I was like, Hmm. Yeah. She goes, you can call it your ref and rant because you're ranting all the time. I'm like, Oh, okay. So uh, my wife, Audra, thank you for the suggestion. It's been going for a while now. <laughs> it's very well done. I always find myself, uh, you know, sometimes it's the first thing that pops up on social media in the morning and it's just a nice short quick thought, you know, something that, you know, came off of what you watched or something, you know, a news item or something like that. It's perfect. Um, Thank you. What, one of the things when I was researching you yesterday that I thought was interesting is I realized that you're one of only, I, on, my, on my count, 13, there's something in wrestling history that only 13 people have done and you are one of them, which is referee the main event of WrestleMania. Ooh. I went. I went through the whole list. I made. I actually made a list of everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you when you remove like the celebrity, what like enforcers and that kind of stuff, but like so the actual referees. So what what's uh, what's that like to be uh, in that company? I mean uh, that that that's to me. I mean that's the pinnacle of your profession. I would think it, it absolutely is, and and uh, I, it's indescribable. Uh, uh, let me put it to you this way. It, to tell the whole story, I wasn't originally scheduled to referee that match at WrestleMania 24 between The Undertaker and Edge. And uh, a little while before the match, uh, I was approached by Edge and says, Jimmy, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He says, uh, Taker and I want you to referee our match at WrestleMania. Are you up for it? I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, I better not. <laughs> this, you know, this is a lot of pressure. But at the same time, I'm thinking this is the main event of WrestleMania and it's the undertaker who at the time was the man. And of course my, my good Canadian buddy is like, like to say the edgester and uh, it is indescribable. And the fact that you brought up that only 13 individuals outside of celebrities and, and special guests and stuff like that have refereed the main event at WrestleMania, it makes it feel even more special today if that is even possible, because as you can see behind me, you know, the picture from WrestleMania on the cover of my, book in the frame there and it, it just meant that it was like a you know when people say when you retire you want to go out the right way i after that match i could have like called it a career and said you know what nothing's going to top this if that makes any kind of sense <laughs> yeah certainly and that was um and you were in the 
WWF, WWE for 20 plus years, I, I believe. So, I mean, at that point, you know, you know, you're you're even late in your refereeing career when that's happening too. you've already seen pretty much everything, you know, through the Hogan era, through the Attitude era and and beyond. So, that, I mean, that has to make it even sweeter that, you know, you, just, you kind of build to that point. I mean, you you'd, you would referee to so many other WrestleManias and pay-per-views mm-hmm. and big events before. But, uh, yeah, it's just cool to uh, – I just lose my audio there. Whoops. Um, it's it's just, it was just cool to go through that and see like all the obviously Earl Hebner's done it like eleven times. I think right. Mike Kyoto's done it like ten times. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, only only the best guys are going to make it to that point. So uh, no, thank you. Congratulations on that. So anybody who's online and follows wrestling has probably found you, even if they didn't follow your twenty plus years in the WWE. Which begs the question: How do you still maintain such a high interest level? in pro wrestling even now you seem like you're as knowledgeable about the modern product as anybody out there no i appreciate that it's it's that i love this business i still do uh i'm i'm happy to be home with my wife and family and 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 getting off the road for so to speak but i'm also upset about being off the road because once you're involved as heavily as we were and you had your you know road family the out there, I know it's a cliche to say your road family, but it truly was. And and when you say, you know, putting your heart and soul into this business, uh, I loved it for, it, I don't know how many years before I even began. It was a dream to be a part of this business. But at the same time, like I said, becoming a part of it, it, it becomes a part of you. And to this day, even though I'm not, you know, formally involved with any company, and I just uh, talk about it mostly and analyze and that sort of stuff. I still love it to, to this day. And there's just like back in the day, there are things I like about it, things I, I think could be better. And like I talked about earlier in my ref and rants, I don't do it to tear down the business. Yeah, I do it because I want to see it improve. I want to see it flourish. I want to see it keep going and not just wwe or aew you know impact mlw nwa i want the entire business to succeed because i love it and it's always it's always and i try to keep that same kind of positive outlook and everything that i do too and just it's just it's just good if people are thinking about making the positive change even if they don't like what you're saying like in the moment just if it makes them think for a second be like you know what maybe if I did this instead of doing this, it would be better. You know, it's, yeah. but it's never, it's never, it's like you said, it's never a tear down. I think people probably take it that way sometimes. And I'm sure people in your comments probably do too. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Uh, what, what do you, what do you like about uh, the current product right now? Like what's, what's kind of, you know, caught your attention in the, in either WWE, AW or anywhere else really that you're watching? No, uh, that still stories matter. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions now is that people it's about moments and getting involved in in storylines and characters and people that draw the audience in. I mean, the old school adage is, you know, talk people into the seats or talk people in front of their television screens or whatever the case may be. And I'm seeing that sort of coming back at times and then at other times. uh, Look, uh, I'm not a big uh, proponent of uh, matches that are quote unquote spot fests, but I understand their place. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as it's not the, you know, how could I explain it? Use the right terminology without it. As long as like, it's not a show about spots. It's a show about characters. It's a show about telling stories. You look at the Roman Reigns and the bloodline stuff going on right now. 
that is incredible television. And they are getting enormous reactions and drawing crowds in without having to do a twisting, burning 450 Hammer Phoenix splash. Right. You know what I mean? So, so yes, moves like that do have a place in this business, but at, at, at the right times, instead of just doing it just to do it. Yeah. Make it mean something. And, and I like the fact that they're getting kind of back to that in some regard, even in AEW, who tends to kind of stray away from a little bit story and, and more about doing moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're even, they do still have some stories that are, that are interesting. Uh, I just wish that they would kind of take their time to tell yeah. them. That's all. I, I can appreciate that. And, and it's all, always about going, you know, you're working for whatever your audience is. So, oh, and if I can, if, yeah, and if I can really quickly, and, and it's the blending of old school and new school, which is the tough thing to do. It's like, I like to say the wheel when it was invented was made of stone and then they made it out of wood because it was lighter and easier, but then, then it was rubber. Then it was vulcanized rubber and run flat tires and blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff. But at the end of the day, with all the innovations of the tire, the tire is still round because it doesn't work any other way. Right. And that's what I like what they're, they're trying to do in today's world is blend old school and new school because it still can work. Because when we talk about uh, some of the greatest uh, pops in, in, in wrestling history, two guys staring at each other in the ring in the middle of the Sky Dome at WrestleMania 18, just standing there looking at each other and they're blowing the roof off the place. See, that's what it's about. It's not about the, ooh, and you get that, that it, you, you get the pop. Yes. But it's not the memory that you're, uh, you know, like that three years down the road, you go, do you remember when? Yeah. One of the things that I really like about the, I, I, I've loved almost every step of the bloodline angle. And it's been going on for so long now too, which is also mm-hmm. impressive. But for me, it's also that we've got Roman Reigns as a long-term, you know, generational champion. And I think the Usos have really raised the tag team titles basically to the level of main eventing a pay-per-view at this point if they needed to. So (laughs) while it's great storytelling, it's also that classic, we're going to keep these championships protected and build up as many different contenders to them as we can, too. So. That's what I really love about that. I was looking up, um, you had mentioned in another interview, kind of about your childhood growing up watching wrestling. And I was amazed at how many different promotions you had available to you. I, um, I'm i 43, so I had quite a few in the mid-80s available to me via cable. But, like, you, I, you were getting Montreal wrestling up there? and. Mm-hmm. No, we were getting – it was amazing. Weekends up here were great. Maple Leaf Wrestling, which is the hometown kind of thing, the Tunneys, uh, uh, Frank Tunney and, and his nephew Jack Tunney and his son uh, Ed Tunney used to run the promotion up here, uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling, and they would get talent from everywhere. They would get talent from Vince Sr. They would get talent from AWA. They would get, And then they kind of became strongly affiliated with Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, who you, we used to get on the Buffalo affiliate channels on television up here. Oh wow! And so we get Maple Leaf Wrestling, we get Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, we get International Wrestling from Montreal. Uh, after the hockey games on Saturday night, after Hockey Night in Canada, we would get uh, All Star Wrestling from Vancouver. We get AWA Wrestling on Global Television Network. You know, and there was just so much wrestling to take in, and it was fun because my dad liked it too. Really? Okay. Yeah. So we would watch some of it together, but you know he. 
obviously my dad is a busy man, was a busy man. So, you know, but the cool one was late at night on a Saturday night after watching the Leaf game with him, we'd sit and watch, you know, All-Star Wrestling from Vancouver, which is uh, the first time I got to see Jimmy Snuka and stuff wow. like that. But, you know, as a young, as a youngster, uh, you know, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood were my favorite tag team. Getting to see, uh, hard to say this, a young Ric Flair, <laughs> be- becoming NWA World Heavyweight Champion, getting to see uh, AEW. I was at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto in 79 when Bob Backlund, who was WWF champion, faced a AWA champion, Nick Bockwinkle, to a, 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 a no contest. Wow. You know, it, it's, I was blessed to get a lot of wrestling on television. And then, you know, the freedom to go down and get to watch it live at Maple Leaf Gardens and become like a, Season ticket holder, so to speak, for lack of a better term. Uh, that's great. Yeah, when I was growing up on Long Island, I had WWF. I had we had the Superstation, mm-hmm. you know, World Championship Wrestling. We get AWA on ESPN. We get World Class on ESPN. Um, even like the Savoldi IWC stuff used to be on Sports Channel. I remember telling Tommy Dreamer one time, I'm like, that's the first time I saw you when you were TD Madison on <laughs> IWC on Sports Channel. <laughs> But that's the thing, like once you get into it, like you seek it out if you're if you're a certain level of fan and you, you kind of need to know when to spend. Nowadays, I don't have any time to watch most of it. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. It's tough. Uh, like like uh, I do the reviews on, on Mondays and Wednesday nights uh, and also uh, do also have joined uh, my good brother in stripes, uh, Brian Hefner, talking uh, wrestling on his podcast as well. Uh, it's it is tough to keep up because there's so much of it now and there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your beginnings in the business and how you how you started and, you know, what made you become a referee? I'd love to hear a little bit about the Tunnies. I'd love to hear a little bit about what the ref crew even looked like back then. So how did it start? (laughs) Well, it started to be one of my hobbies was I I, I, like I said earlier, I got the rings, the season tickets. I was second row ringside and Maple Leaf Gardens had that ramp that went from the, you know, from the entryway level with the ring. So the stars were elevated. And what I used to do is take pictures. One of my hobbies was, was, you know, with a camp, with an actual camera, not a phone back then in the day. And I would come back to the next show. We had a place up here that had a promotion for their film developing double your prints for a dollar. So for a dollar, I'd get a second set of prints and I'd take them with me to the the following show and sell them for $2 a picture to fans. And that's how I was funding my going to wrestling. And then I got caught by someone by the name of Elio Zarlenga, who was the one who took photographs ringside and did the program, Stranglehold program for uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling. And he said, hey, buddy, can I see your pictures? I said, sure, here you go. He goes, how much are they? I said, they're two bucks each. And he says, ah, you know what? You can't do that. And I said, why? Who are you? And he told me who he was. He worked for Jack Tunney. And I was like, oh, he says, do me a favor. Just don't do it right in front of the building where everybody can see you. Kind of do it like off to the side and stuff like that, kind of in the back, wherever, behind the building. You know, just just don't be very visible. And then he said, let me see if I can get you a job helping me out taking photographs. And I went, oh, this is cool. And he introduced me to Jack. And Jack said, you know, I'll tell you what. We don't need another photographer, but we'll find something for the kid to do. And I became, you know, kind of like the guy they went to. We need this. We need that. Can you go get this? Here are the keys to my Cadillac. Can you go up to the airport and pick up, you know, so-and-so and stuff like that? So I became a kind of like a, a an all-around hand. Yeah. 
and I became friendly with with the agents like Jack, uh, Jack Lanza, Gerald Briscoe, Pat Patterson was awesome. And Pat just says to uh, after about a, a year or so of doing this, Pat says to Jack Tunney, he says, you know, we got the kid over here. He does all this stuff for us. He hangs around all day waiting for the show to end to do more stuff. He says, why don't we use him during the show? We'll make him a referee. And Jack says to Pat, well, do we want to smarten the kid up? He says, smarten the kid up? He's in the locker room with the boys hanging out. How much more do you want to smarten him up? He says, so he came to me and he said, get yourself black sneakers, black pants, a blue shirt, a black bow tie, carry it with you at all times. We're going to eventually make you a referee. So was there any, um, is there anybody who would like mentor you in terms of being a referee? I know it's kind of like on the job training a lot of times in wrestling, but over, over the years, was there anybody who kind of took, you know, cause I always wonder with that. Cause a lot of times now referees train in like wrestling schools. Mm-hmm. So it's wrestlers really training the referees sometimes. Right. Um, who, who was that for you? Was there anybody that was most helpful to you as your, in your journey? Well, th- to be honest with you, I didn't know enough at the time when I was carrying my stuff around, waiting for the opportunity to referee, to ask questions. It, didn't, it just didn't occur to me. Then it, it, one day, Chief J. Strombo says at a, at, a, at a house show, he says, you know, hey, Jimmy, you got your ref gear with you? He said, yes, sir. Yes, Chief, I do. He says, well, put it on your ref and tonight, uh, S.D. Jones versus Jose Luis Rivera. So I said, okay. And I didn't want to tell Chief, yeah, but I don't know what I'm doing yet. You know what I mean? So I went to S.D., who I was who I was buddies with, and I said, S.D., I'm refing your match tonight. He said, oh, that's cool. I said, I, I've never refed a match before. He says, stay close to me. I'll talk you through it. <laughs> and then after the match, you know, he gave me a little bit of critique and stuff like that. And he says, you know what? Go talk to Hebner, David Hebner at the time. Go talk to Timmy White. Talk to the other referees who have been doing this and just get feedback from them. Ask them to watch your matches and, and stuff like that. So Dave Hebner was, was a big help. Timmy White was a huge help. Earl, of course. Uh, and and I just listened and asked them to please watch my match and give me feedback. So those those are the main three. Interesting from the, from the start, you know, uh, until I learned enough to ask, hey guys, you know what I mean? Uh, I didn't know enough at first to go say, hey, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. The it's role, kind of the job training, so to speak. The role of referee, and I think we've actually talked about this a couple of times online a little bit too. Is like it's mm-hmm. something that's always interested me to kind of learn why that individual is so important to the whole, you know, the whole thing going on. Um, how have you seen it change over the course of time from from back when you were breaking in to now? Uh, of what what's different about what the referee does, and and what what's the most important thing? Uh, it, it has changed a bit because the role of the referee is not to be is to be visible without being a, a, a distraction. Because, as you know, in wrestling, it, it is the illusion of it being a co- athletic contest. So the referee is there to enforce rules and help the talent tell their story without being, uh, like I said, a distraction or a part of the story. Unless there's a spot that calls for you to be right. You, you know what I mean? So you're 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 there to help. You bring everything together. And and unfortunately today, what I'm noticing a lot, there are a lot of referees out there. I don't want to say a lot, but there are some referees out there who tend to be a distraction and want to be noticed. And, and, and it takes away from the match. When, when I see two faces, like, like I talked about earlier, when, when there was that face to face at, at, uh, at, at uh, WrestleMania between rock and Hogan, you want to see those two guys face off. You don't want to see somebody's face in the middle going, 
oh, look at these two guys. You know right. what I mean? It, it's, it takes away from the moment, at least on, a, on the screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're watching, watching it at home. So the role of the referee is to help the talent tell their story. And I think a lot of times nowadays you're seeing the referee wanting to be an integral part of the match as opposed to help, just saying, hey, you know what? I'm a supporting player. And I'm happy being a supporting player because I was all those years. Yeah. You know, it's nice to be recognized. Don't get me wrong. When people see you, hey, aren't you the referee, blah, blah, blah. That's nice. But at the same time, that wasn't what it was about. It was about, you know, doing it right. Yeah. Me. And I think one of the problems, too, is that I think some promotions um, and AW is an obvious one. And, right. you know, but they're they're encouraging the referees in, in, in ways kind of marketing the referees a little bit now, too, which is a little different than mm-hmm. I've seen anybody really do. So, you know, if they're being asked to do that, then they're playing the role that they're supposed to be. If they're not being asked to do it, then they're not. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah but it, 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 it takes away from the, yeah. the match, in my opinion. Like, I, I get it. You look at UFC and everybody knows who big John McCarthy is, right? Because right. he's he, you know big jacked up dude and blah, blah, blah. But at, during the fight, you don't you don't sit there and go, oh, look at that. Look at John. Look at you know what I mean? He, yeah. he stays out of the way until he needs to be in the picture. It makes sense. Well, what was the best part of being on the road for you? And 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 are you happy that you're not now? Uh, uh, yes and no. I miss I miss the uh, like I said I miss my road family. You know, as much as I rib them, Tony Chimmel was uh, was my riding partner for all those years, and 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 Kyoto and Charles and and Larry Heck the trainer, and there are just so many of us that you know you're you're basically with them more than you are with your actual family. So like that's why I said they become kind of like your road family and being in the ring with the talent and 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 I'm not saying that everybody was cool but for the most part every you know it was a cool business to be a part of. T- yes, TV days were hard and 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 long but at the same time, you know, I had golfing partners on days off, you know, guys like JBL and even Cena we'd get out there Booker T of course, you know, and we we had fun on the road together. What's and the most What's the most unique place the uh, the job ever took you? Oh, I would have to say Iraq when we did yeah. tribute to the troops. <laughs> That's pretty unique. Yeah, we were in a battle zone and we're staying in Saddam's palace, one of Saddam's palaces. That was our accommodations. There's only a few people that could probably say that. Yeah, mind you, mind you, we we all slept on cots, right? Just like just like the just like the troops, uh, but each room, like the talent room and the the crew room, had one king size bed in each room. And of course, in the talent room, Taker was the man. Right. So he didn't have to ask for the bed; it was given to him. Right. Do you know what I mean? It, it was it was like unanimous. But Big Show was on the trip too, so Big Show strolls into our room and sees our. We have a king size bed, and, and the head of our production crew uh, was like a five foot six young man who commandeered the bed. And Show was going, "Hey guys, how's it going over here?" And notices this and goes. Oh no, this is not happening. So Big Show <laughs> slept in our room in the king bed, which is fine. It's cool. That reminds me. Of, <laughs> it reminds me of a trip I had to go on in college one time for a, a meeting I had, and I was in the front seat at first, and the person behind me was the six foot nine inch member of the basketball team. I'm like, yeah, we're switching places, aren't we? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm five eight, so yeah, that's not happening. But one of the things that made that trip really intriguing is one of the matches I refereed on that show was Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. Mm. In the middle of the match, they did a flyby with the air, with aircraft. 
uh, during the but they didn't tell us that it was going to happen because they wanted to get the natural reaction from us, which Ooh. they got, which was like, what is going on here? Then I heard in my IFB, hey, tell the guys to relax. This was a planned flyby. Don't worry about it. I, I told them after, you know, after it happened, but they just wanted to get everybody's natural reaction. What a way to do it, though. Yeah, especially when you're in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the biggest difference for you um, from when Vince McMahon is in WWE versus when he's not? That's such a, a big story right now. And uh, yeah. you would have a pretty good perspective on, on, on what it's like with him around. It, it seems like the talent is, uh, and it's not a knock on Vince. Vince just has that that aura about him, the talent seems a little more relaxed now. They, they feel a little more like we can go out there and kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say go off the rails, but they can go a little off script without having to worry about coming back to gorilla and getting that look in. Come here, pal, you know, that sort of thing. So I think there's a little bit more creative freedom to, uh, to be more themselves, which is good. And I think it, I think it shows. I think you can tell that that the talent. The biggest thing for me is the talent feels a lot more comfortable with with Hunter at the helm right now. Is is there any 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 personal uh, experience with Triple H, Paul Levesque, that you could share about kind of the way that he handles things, or any 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 good interactions with him that you've had that would kind of encapsulate him? No, it's just he was he was always you know treated me well, you know, both in the ring and outside the ring, and one of the things. Um, that really, he used to call, he called me Corduroy instead of Corderas. <laughs> that was his nickname for me because, you know, and and it, the fun thing for me was back back when SummerSlam was here in Toronto a few years ago, you know, I, I was covering it for Sportsnet up here as, as we were doing our show. So they had the after show presser that Hunter was covering, was doing. And I went to the back, you know what I mean? And for the presser, and he, I raised my hand to ask a question. I, I wish I could remember what the question was. But right away he goes, oh, oh, my goodness, I have to go to Corduroy right there in the back. Hey, Corduroy, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. You ready to put the striped shirt back on? You know, like he's going through the whole mode. And I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, all my, I, I can't think of an interaction that I had with Hunter that was negative ever. That's really good. And I really just think, you know, with, with all the transition that's gone on, the stuff about the sale possibly coming up and this and that, I feel like he just hasn't missed a beat. Like, I, I've really enjoyed his vision for the company. And I think it's still also true to the history of the company, too. I think he understands it really well. No, um, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And like you said, bringing up the, the subject of a possible sale, you know, whoever, hap- if it is for sale and it gets bought by someone else, by another corporation, you need someone with that wrestling knowledge at the helm. So if I, whoever I was, I would probably work on keeping Hunter mm-hmm. in that position because he is that smart. So you mentioned kind of the media side of things and the hosting mm-hmm. and the broadcasting and podcasting and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that you're doing. What do you, what do you like the most about uh, getting involved in that stuff? I guess I, I get to speak my mind. They're allowing me to to be honest, and that's all I'm being is honest. I'm not I'm not choosing sides. These guys versus those, this side versus that side. It's not about you know wrestling politics, so to speak. I, I'm not putting a sign up on my front lawns. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's it's me getting to express my opinion and the stuff that uh, I learned over the years from some great talent, 
not just uh, not just striped shirt talent, but also some wrestlers learning from them. And I get to express my opinion. And it, that's exactly what it is, is my opinion. And it's my honest opinion. And I get to I get to uh, I get the freedom to express uh, positive or not so positive um, opinions. And I like it. it. It keeps me interested. It gives me a reason to watch, another reason to watch, other than the fact that I probably would be watching anyways. <laughs> right. And and you'll get called the WWE shill when you when you when you praise them and you'll get right. got AEW one when you praise them, but it's like <laughs> you can never win. It's just yeah. honestly just have fun doing it. Exactly. Like, enjoy it. You know, it's it's okay to watch the business with a critical eye mm-hmm. and, and and understand what you're looking at. But I just think that people get so wrapped up in sides and it's like i don't think people realize and maybe you probably be a good person to ask this but like i don't think the wrestlers feel like this as like the tribal stuff with the with the with the companies like Mm -hmm. a lot of these wrestlers are friends with each other across the two companies no absolutely and you know i have friends that are in aew there's there's one person there in particular i talked about him the other day rj city oh yeah who's doing some stuff uh you know, not on television for them, and, which I don't understand. It's a crime that he's not on television. He is so entertaining. And and you look at a guy like Chris Jericho, who just keeps reinventing and and, and himself, and he gets that audience. That's, that's the unfortunate thing about AEW. Let me put it really quickly here, that they seem to cater to a specific audience as opposed to trying to broaden their horizons, let's put it that way. And Chris understands that so to get heat with this audience who would otherwise cheer him because you hear them when they play his entrance music he says he's a sports entertainer which hits them right below the belt and he knows enough that hey i'm going to be a heel i'm going to use the language so he gets the heat for that he understands that stuff instead of saying uh oh look i'm a heel but look how cool it is that they're cheering me yeah uh, so we're going to move to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. So uh, hopefully you're quick. <laughs> you know, there's no rules here. Okay. The lights just went out of the room that I've been. I don't know why. That's good. As long as the internet's still on. Um, when I think of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, I either think of Daryl Sittler or Matt Sundin. When you think of the New York Islanders, who do you think of? Oh, my goodness. Mike Bossy. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, yeah that's, a little, that's easy. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity to meet him both as a child and as an adult. And uh, what a what a what a great guy he awesome. was, and what a talent! No, he was incredible. So, if uh, Jimmy Corderas was a wrestler or a manager, what would his persona be like? Uh, you know what? It would be one that, uh, as a former referee, I would be the one who gets on the referee's case. I'd want to be a I'd, I'd, I'd want to be a heel manager who constantly complains and whines about the refing. Interesting. And and how the referee is biased against his uh, protege, the person he represents. That was one thing I liked when they did the dangerous Danny Davis uh, angle was that he was constantly complaining. And I don't know if you were ever on the receiving end of it, but he was constantly complaining to the officials about how bad they're officiating. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But having uh, uh, an ex-official as a manager doing that. Awesome. I, th- I think anyway, so that would be fun. What, what would your uh, what would your attire look like? Oh, you know what? It would. <sighs> Why not? A, a variation of the ref shirt. With the the logo on my breast here, but maybe with an X through it. Mm, okay. You know, just, just saying. You know what? These guys need to be better. 
I, I liked it when you were the uh, when you were the union the, the scab scab referee when that, <sighs> when that angle was going on. That happened by accident as well. Wasn't planned because you were not around when the yeah angle was going on. Was that what it was? Yeah, I had just gotten married, and of course, I had to get approved to get my two week honeymoon. So you know, I get back from the two week honeymoon. And I didn't watch any wrestling because I wanted to stay married during that two weeks. <laughs> so. Uh, I get back and, hey, Corderas, welcome back, blah, blah, blah. And then I run into Hunter. He says, hey, Jimmy, welcome back. How is it now that you get back and you're out of work? And I said, oh, Hunter, I can't stay out of work. I just got married. I can't afford to go on strike uh, as a joke, like, ha, 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 ha. And he went, ha, ha, come with me. <laughs> and I went, what? And he took me to JR. They, he said, Corderas had this great idea. And I'm like, what? What idea did I have? And then they said, oh, yeah, you can be the only regular referee to cross the picket line, become a scab ref and we'll work it into the storyline that way. And that's, and that, was, that was such a unique crew of the uh, scab refs that he had Dr. Tom Pritchard. You had mm -hmm. Harvey Whippleman, uh, mm -hmm. Steve Lombardi, I think was one of yes. them at one point. Yep. Yep. I think was, was, was Dave Hebner in there too for a minute? I don't recall Hebner being in there, but it, uh, Pritchard and, and Harvey and those guys. Yes, I do. Yeah. Know. Yeah. That's that's fun. Uh, so finally, last question. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened in the ring to you? Funniest thing. Oh, how could you not with uh, with Owen Hart? I still to this day do not know how he untied my sneakers. <laughs> they were in a hole. They were doing something. And I, he says, check your sneakers. And I look down and they're untied. I'm like, how'd you what? It's just incredible. The other thing, too, uh, speaking of Owen, is we were in Montreal and Carl uh, uh, LeDuc's nephew was wrestling JBL. He'd only just started and they wanted to, him to go over. And he says, uh, so JBL says to him, what is your finish? You know, this was before JBL became the millionaire JBL. He says, what's your finish? He says, I don't have one. He says, oh, we'll just do a small package. And he goes, I don't know how to do that. Wow. So, and I'm roughing the match, right? So uh, John says to me, Jimmy, small package me. I said, what? Small package me right here in the locker room? Yeah. So I small package JBL <laughs> and he's yelling up at the guy, see how it's done? So they have their match and it was just not good. And John kind of was a little snug with him. Let's put it that way. But the next night we were in Ottawa. So they said, oh, and you work with, uh, with the LeDuc kid because, you know, we don't want John to beat the kid up anymore. He says, but whatever you do, don't let him run the ropes. Because he couldn't run the ropes. He would run to the ropes. He'd slow down, stop, turn, lean, and then run the other way. And it looked horrible. So when they sold Owen, don't let him run the ropes. So Owen says, okay, gotcha. As soon as they get into the ring, they tie up, and they, he calls for a crisscross. Oh, my goodness. So, it, oh, my goodness. It was just, you had to be there. It was hilarious watching Owen do the slow, exaggerated run across the ring. And, oh, my <laughs> but that's that's the kind of guy he was, you know. Yeah, I, I love hearing stories about him all the time. So, where can uh, fans uh, keep up with you? And uh, I know you've got some podcasts and stuff coming up too. So, uh, yeah. if you want to just run through that, okay. Uh, obviously, on my social media uh, here, uh, Twitter at Jimmy Corderas, on Instagram at Real Jimmy Corderas, and all my social media platforms, I do my ref and rants. Like you said, it's only a minute long from uh, Mondays to Wednesdays, and it's just a little critique. Like I said, having a little fun, wanting to see the business get better. And also I do uh, podcasts on Mondays and Wednesday nights on wrestling Inc. Usually with Justin Labar and, or triple J as I like to call it on Monday nights and reviewing raw and on Wednesday nights with Isa 
we do uh, post dynamite review. And now I'm uh, have joined my good brother in stripes, Brian Hebner, and we talk roughing it up on Wednesday mornings. Very good. And check out the three count, uh, Jimmy's book, if you get a chance. I read it a long time ago. It's right over his shoulder there. So Yeah, I, yeah, I don't have a WrestleMania sign, so I'll point to that. <laughs> hey, but you're, it's you at WrestleMania in the main event on the cover, so it works. Yeah, so you can absolutely. So, Jimmy, I'm so glad we got to do this, uh, and I'd love to do it again sometimes. And I really appreciate you uh, joining me today. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Phil, and take care. And ah, enjoy Mania this year, the ro- roads to WrestleMania this year. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Jimmy Corderas for joining me today and sharing some of his knowledge and perspective with us. Join us next week where we plan on having another big superstar from the world of pro wrestling. So check Twitter during the week at Under the Ring for the latest information. Have a great weekend.